0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first day in the new Coptic year, and I wish all of you a blessed new year in which we grow every day in the love And knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today we'll start together our Bible study on the first letter of St. Paul to his disciple Timothy. Uh, Tonight we'll study chapter 1 and I'd like first to give you a quick introduction about this letter. The first question about this letter, who is the author? Who is the author? It's clear from the first verse of this letter that the author is Saint Paul. Saint Paul. The internal evidence of the letter proves that Saint Paul is the author of this Uh, letter, beside also the external evidence. What do I mean by the external evidence? The early tradition that we received from the Church Fathers. All early Church Fathers confirmed and affirmed that St. Paul is the author of this letter, like Eusebius in the year 300 AD, Origen, and Origen is considered a scholar, not a church father. He is, uh, he was in year 250, Clement of Alexandria, year 200, Tertullian, who is a scholar also, year 200, and Irenaeus, year 200, and many others affirmed that the author of this letter is Saint Paul. Who is the recipient of the letter? It's clear also from verse 2 in chapter 1 that this letter was addressed to Saint Timothy, the disciple of Saint Paul. Who is Saint Timothy? Saint Timothy is a native of Lystra. Lystra uh, is a city. Now, in Turkey, Timothy's father was Greek, while his mother was a Jewish Christian. His mother was a Jewish Christian. And St. Paul actually commended the faith in Timothy that was given to him by his mother and his grandmother. So from his childhood, he had been taught the Old Testament, as St Paul affirmed this in Second Timothy chapter one, verse five and chapter three, verse 15. St Paul called him his son because he joined St Paul in some of his missionary trips. And St. Paul appointed him to be the Bishop of Ephesus, as we're gonna read together today. In the second, uh, St. Paul met Timothy in the first visit to Lystra. But in the second visit of St. Paul to Lystra, St. Paul invited Timothy to join him on his missionary travels. And Saint Paul circumcised Timothy because Timothy had a Greek father, so he was not circumcised. Saint Paul circumcised him so that he will be well received by the Jews. And Timothy was with St. Paul during his first imprisonment, as we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, and the letter of Philemon, verse 1. And following St. Paul's release, Timothy traveled with St. Paul, and they stayed together in Ephesus for a long time to deal with the problems there. St. Paul went to Macedonia, but before he went to Macedonia, he asked St. Timothy to remain in Ephesus. And this was like assignment for Timothy to be the Bishop of Ephesus. And when St. Paul realized that he will not uh, come to Ephesus soon, he sent the first letter to Timothy to encourage him and to give him commandment about how to conduct in the church of Ephesus. Timothy was very close to St. Paul, and St. Paul admired him. And this appears that St. Paul mentioned Timothy as a co-sender of six letters out of the 14 letters that were written by St. Paul. St. Paul wrote 14 letters. In six of them, Timothy was a co sender of these letters. And at the end of Saint Paul uh, at the end of Saint Paul's life, he requested Timothy to join him in Rome, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 21. Timothy also was imprisoned and released. Actually, as we studied last week, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, when St. Paul said about Timothy that he was released, so it is understood from this verse that Timothy was in in prison, and after this he was released. The date of this letter was after the first imprisonment of St. Paul in Rome. So most of the church fathers dated this letter between 63 and 65 AD. Between 63 and 65 AD. What is the background why St. Paul sent this letter to Timothy, his disciple? As I told you, after the release of St. Paul from his first imprisonment, he instructed Timothy to take care of the church at Ephesus, while St. Paul went to Macedonia. As we read in chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, etc. So, when St. Paul went to Macedonia, he instructed Timothy to remain at Ephesus to be in charge of the church there. And when St. Paul realized that he might not return to Ephesus in the near future, he wrote this letter to Timothy. Mainly for two reasons. The first reason there was in, in Ephesus many teachers who are teaching false doctrines. So Saint Paul instructed Timothy to refute these wrong doctrines and to combat those false teachers. And the other reason, in order to supervise the affairs of the growing church at Ephesus. As a bishop, he should supervise the affairs of this growing church. That's why he addressed the church worship in chapter 2 and appointment of clergy in chapter 3 and chapter 5. So why St. Paul sent this letter? Number one, to instruct Timothy to refute the false teaching, and number two, to supervise the affairs of the growing church at Ephesus. That's why this letter is considered one of the pastoral letters, al al one of the pastoral letters of St. Paul. So we can say that the theme of this letter is pastoral care. Pastoral care about keeping the doctrine sound. And also in uh, running the church according to the will of God. That's why he talked about role of clergy, uh, how to care for women, widows, slaves, and also he addressed the issue of money and how to be handled in ministry. So that is the theme of this letter is about pastoral care. Now we'll start studying Chapter 1, verse by verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Paul here, he emphasized his position as apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now his word has authority because he is speaking with the authority of the apostle. And the Lord said to the apostles, he who hears you, hears me. That's why he started this letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is his responsibility as an apostle to instruct the bishop Of Ephesus about the affairs of the church. And here we notice that he described God as our Savior and our hope. As he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. He said, I became an apostle by the commandment of God. Because not anyone, no anyone can take this honor by himself, but he who is appointed by God. So he became an apostle by the commandment of God. Why he described God as our Savior and Jesus Christ as our hope? Because As an apostle, the main goal of his ministry is to preach the good news of salvation because this is the desire of God. God desires all men to be saved. As St. Paul actually highlighted, this desire in this letter, chapter 2, verse 4, desiring all men to be saved. That's why in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he said, God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So he called God our Savior because that is his ma- the goal of, of his ministry, to preach the salvation of God. And he called the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Because this salvation became possible when the Logos became man and died on the cross and granted us the salvation. So it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that this salvation became reality. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. So when we study this letter, we have to keep in mind that the primary goal of this letter is salvation, the salvation of all men. He instructing St. Timothy as a bishop to refute false teaching because the false teaching can become obstacle in our salvation. And also he instructing him to watch and supervise the affairs of the church, because as St. John Chrysostom said, there is no salvation outside the church. That's why we need to have a strong church in order to be saved. Verse two, to Timothy, a true son in, faith, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, And Jesus Christ our Lord. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Here, Saint Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm not only speaking to you as an apostle to a bishop, but also I'm speaking to you as a father to son. Because the authority in the church, it is authority of the fatherhood. The authority of the world is totally different than the authority in the church. That's why when there was a fight among the disciples, who will be the first among them? The Lord told them that leaders and rulers of the world rule over them with authority, but there is no fatherhood. But in the church, we cannot separate the authority from the fatherhood. Even God, he has authority over us as our creator and our master, but he is our father. That's why we address him, our father who art in heaven. So when he says to Timothy, a true son, he is telling him, I am talking to you not only as an apostle, but also as your father. And why he called him a true son? Because Timothy presented the uh, attributes of a true and sincere son. Many people question the fatherhood, for example, of the priest. But before you question the fatherhood of the priest, you should question first your sonship. Are you acting like a true son or not? Listen to what St. Paul said about Timothy. In his letter to the Philippians chapter 2 from verse 20 to 22. Saint Paul said I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests not those of Jesus Christ but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the Gospel." That's why he called him a true son in faith. In faith because he is not a biological son. Saint Paul was celibate. And the first thing in his greeting to his son, he prayed for him to have grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope we as parents, whether spiritual fathers or biological parents, when we pray for our children, let us ask God to grant our children these three things, grace, mercy, and peace. Because without the grace of God, we cannot achieve anything. And with the mercy of God, we are accepted before him. And with the peace of God, we can withstand all the hardships that we face every day in our life. Verse 3. As I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine saint paul as a sincere pastor as a faithful apostle when he knew that there are false teachers in ephesus teaching false doctrine he instructed timothy to remain in ephesus in order to refute these false teaching because the false teaching is like cancer that spread quickly to destroy saint paul in second timothy chapter 2 verse, six, verse 16 and 17 he described the false teaching as cancer he said shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more unget, to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer and also he spoke about the false teaching as living that can leaven the whole lump as we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 9 A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's why we have to be very careful. We cannot leave false doctrine grows in the church. We have to keep the doctrine and the teaching sound and safe. He said to Timothy that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which goes dispute rather than godly edification which is in faith. Besides the false doctrine, some people from Jewish background they started many disputes about the genealogies as you know the old testament had special interest in genealogy why in order to record to us the genealogy of the messiah the coming down the the incarnation of the Logos. but after the birth of christ there is no need to keep these genealogies, especially taking pride in the genealogy, can make disputes among the believers. Also, some people in Ephesus paid attention to fables. What are the fables? Stories that doesn't have that don't have any authentic background and they want to build doctrine based on such stories and fables that's why St. Paul instructed Timothy to be very firm with the false teaching with the fables and those who want to return back to Judaism with all the genealogies, and he told them he told him that the false teaching will bring what dispute and division but the sound teaching will bring godly edification godly edification when there is dispute and division we know that there is a false teaching but when we grow together in love then we know that is a sound doctrine that's why in verse 5 he spoke about the purpose of the commandment the purpose of the teaching he said now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. If the false teaching brings dispute, but the commandment of God and the sound teaching brings what? Three things. Number one, it will purify my heart. The word of God will purify my heart. As the Lord said to his disciples, You are pure because of the words that I have spoken to you. And when my heart is purified, then my love will be coming from a pure heart, will be a true and genuine love. That's why he said the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Also, the good teaching will produce a good conscience. What do we mean by good conscience? There is what we call a strict conscience. When the conscience is stricter on me more than God. When my conscience make me feel that this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong although God give me freedom to use all these things that's what we call the strict conscience like some people during the time of Saint Paul they were uh, banning marriage as something wrong or some people we're banning uh, eating meat as something wrong this is what we call strict conscience and as explained last week in hebrews 13 fasting is different than banning meat fasting is discipline to the body but we don't say that eating meat is wrong so the sound doctrine will protect me from strict conscience, but also it will protect me from the other extreme, which is lose conscience. The conscience that accepts anything and the conscience that doesn't differentiate between what is good and what's evil. The conscience that legalizes what is sinful, like in our time. Some people legalize homosexuality. This is a loose conscience. So the second doctrine will give me a good conscience. That judge between right and wrong, between true and false, according to the absolute truth, according to the will of God. So the commandment of God gives me a pure heart so I can show love from a pure heart. Number two, gives me a good conscience. And number three, the commandment of God gives me a sincere faith. Sound, to- sound teaching and sound doctrine will establish me on the rock of faith. As St. Paul described faith before, it is anchor. When we hold this anchor, strong will be steadfast. So, when we study and w- 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 the good doctrine, and we believe in the sound doctrine, we will have this anchor of faith that can withstand all the hardships and all the uh, suffering in the world. So in verse 5, St. Paul was comparing between the false teaching and the sound teaching. The false teaching makes what? Dispute. But the sound teaching, the commandment of God, its purpose is love from pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Verse 6 From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. What do we expect when we turn aside from, sorry, when we stray from the sound teaching? when we stray from the commandment of God, we will be turned into idle talk. What is idle talk? Idle talk is the vain, meaningless, empty talk. The problem of our time is that usually people are searching for something new, something extraordinary, and new revelations. And that's why uh, the people start to deviate from the true theology to a wrong theology. Most of the new doctrines and the false teaching comes from uh, deviating from the sound teaching to idle talk. When we don't accept the truth of god but we try to uh, analyze things according to our own understanding and according to our teaching uh, uh, according to our interpretation that's why in verse 7 saint paul said desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm This is a problem of the uh, heresies. Most of the heresies came from people who are lacking understanding, who don't understand the truth of the Bible. And they are wise in their own eyes. And they interpret the Bible according to their own understanding, private interpretation. And as I usually say, we have the same Bible, all the denominations in the world using the same Bible, but why we have different understanding, different theology, different doctrines that are contradicting with each other? Although we have the same text, The problem is not in the text, but the problem is in the interpretation. And when we start to rely on our own understanding, not on the interpretation that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and his disciples, then we will deviate from the truth. the most dangerous people are those who don't respect the tradition the holy tradition of the church don't respect the interpretation of the church that's why saint augustine said i don't accept the bible other than what the church teaches So I rely on the church, and by the church here, I mean the early fathers of the church, especially when there is a consensus between and among all the church fathers. St. James, in his letter, warned us from being teachers. He said, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. James chapter 3, verse 1. Unfortunately, nowadays, many people make themselves teachers and they interpret the Bible as they want. And that's why there are many, many false doctrines and false teaching around us. That's why St. Paul told him, Verses 6 and 7, from which some having strayed, straight because of the private interpretation, have turned it aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And as I told you, the problem is not in the text in the law itself, but the problem is in the interpretation. That's why in verse 8 he said, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully so the problem is not in the law the, pro- the problem is not in the text itself because if the one who is using the law use it lawfully lawfully means what lawfully means correct interpretation and correct application how to interpret it right and how to apply it right so the law is good if one uses it lawfully and it is very very important for those who are teaching when they interpret the Holy scripture they have to abide to the true interpretation that was handed to us from the Lord Jesus Christ, his disciples, and the Church Fathers. Don't give place to your own private interpretation. That's how to use it lawfully. In application and also in in interpretation and also in application. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and and insubordinate, etc. What does it mean, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the wicked in general? Does this mean that the Bible and the law of God is only profitable for the unrighteous, not for the righteous? Let me start by saying this, All of us are unrighteous. There is nobody without sin. So all of us, we need the law. But St. Paul meant here, actually the original Greek text, uh, we can read it this way. The law does not lie against a righteous man, but against the unrighteous the law will stand against the unrighteous, not against the righteous. Because the righteous does not transgress the law. It is only the unrighteous. So, St. Paul is saying here, the law is good when we use it lawfully. When we use it lawfully, when we interpret the law, Correctly, number one, and also when we apply it in our life. If I apply the law, the law will not stand against me. But the law will be against me if I transgress the law. That's why he said, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. And then St. Paul mentioned a big list. Let me just go quickly over this list. Number one, he said, for the lawless. Who are the lawless? The lawless are those who will not bound by a law and acknowledge no law in their life. They have no rule of moral conduct so those are the lawless they are not bound by any law and subordinate those who acknowledge no authority they don't respect any order And subordinate they don't respect any order no authority neither this authority uh, like authority in the world or spiritual authority or even God's authority. Those are the insubordinate. For the ungodly, who are the ungodly? Ungodly are the irreligious, those who do not worship God, or have no true worship. So, the ungodly like the atheists who don't worship God, or those who are called believers by name, but they don't worship and they don't practice. For sinners, who are sinners? Sinners those who transgress the law. How can I differentiate between the sinners and the lawless? The lawless they don't believe in law, but the sinners They believe in the law, but they transgress against it. They break the law. So, the lawless, those who don't believe in any law. The insubordinate, those who don't believe in any authority. The ungodly, those who don't worship God. Sinners, those who transgress the law. The unholy. The unholy, those who are... Totally polluted, they are unclean from within and from without. Their heart from within is unclean, impure, and their deeds from out, uh, uh, without from outside, also unclean. Profane. Profane. Those who are uh, like excommunicated from the church. Actually, the origin, the, the word profane, comes from a word that reads far from the temple, far from the temple, which means their actions and their deeds are so unholy to the extent they are excommunicated from the Church of God in order not to to defile the Church of God. That's why uh, he called them profane, which means literally far from the temple, those who are uh, outside the Church of God. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, the original greek word actually doesn't mean murderer but striking beating so saint paul is saying those who hit their parents strike them or beat them like murderers and he differentiated them between man slayers the following uh, word because If a person hit his father or mother, he broke many commandments. He broke the commandment to honor them. He does not respect the authority of God. He is doing something against even nature. Because respect of parents and love of parents is like an instinct in us, planted by God in us. That's why those who beat their parents or hit them is like murderers. And in the Old Testament, the law says, if anyone curse his father or mother, should be killed. That is the the Old Testament. Because it's very, very important to learn how to honor our parents, how to respect them, because they, they they watch over us. Then, for many slayers, many slayers are the murderers, those who take away the life of a human being. And it is clear from the Bible, especially the book of Genesis and Romans 13 that the law is those who kill should be killed those who kill should be killed of course by the authority that's why the church is not against the uh, death penalty the church is not against the death penalty as it's clear from romans chapter 13 the Ruler does not carry the sword in vain but to avenge from the evildoers. For fornicators, fornicators are the adulterers, those who live in sexual immorality. For sodomites, sodomites, the homosexuals. And it is clear that uh, the Bible mentions that homosexuality is a sin is a sin and those who commit the sin need to repent for kidnappers kidnappers are the slave dealers those who kidnap people and sell them as slaves and this was very common during the time of saint paul because of the slavery So some people, they used to kidnap people and sell them as slaves. For liars, liars, those who don't speak the truth, those who say uh, uh, the false instead of the truth, or also those who tell the truth in such a way to lead others to draw a contrary meaning from the truth. And for perjurers, perjurers, those who don't keep their word, their oath, those who break their promises, those are the perjurers. It's clear from this list that St. That Paul links righteousness to behavior. Because many people teach that you need only to believe in order to be righteous and righteousness comes only from faith. But it's clear from this list that St. Paul links righteousness to behavior. In order to be called righteous, you have to keep godly behavior. And also another thing about this list. St. Paul didn't make any priority. He put the liars on the same level with sodomites, fornicators. Because sin is sin. Any sin can prevent me from inheriting the kingdom of God. That's why he concluded by saying, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And here, I want to teach, uh, tell you something very important. Many people say, what is the importance of studying theology? What's the importance of studying sound doctrine? Saint Paul is saying here that sound doctrine uh, dictates your behavior. And you need to have sound doctrine in order to demonstrate godly behavior. That's why he considered any sin as if it is contrary to the sound doctrine. That's why we cannot say believe as you want uh, as long as your behavior is acceptable. No, your belief system will change your behavior. Your belief system change your behavior. Unfortunately, some denomination, they say, it doesn't matter what you believe, whether you are Orthodox or you are Catholic or you are Protestant or you are Baptist or you are, it doesn't matter. Believe as you want and you can join us and you can worship God. No. Sound doctrine dictates your behavior. And in order to live godly behavior and to demonstrate godly behavior, you need to have sound doctrine and teaching. How can we say that this is sound doctrine or not? Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So we have to check each doctrine against the commandment of God, the gospel of God. If any doctrine that again is the teaching of God, again is the teaching of the gospel, it's false doctrine, and we should reject it. And here St. Paul said, according to the gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the gospel that's preached by St. Paul is the gospel of God. This is very important because many people differentiate between the words of Christ and the words of St. Paul. I remember in one discussion with those who believe in homosexuality, they were told that St. Paul mentioned that homosexuality is sin. And their reply was, this is St. Paul, not the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are differentiating between what St. Paul said and what the Lord Jesus Christ said. But St. Paul saying here, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the gospel that's preached by St. Paul is the gospel of Christ. And he called it the glorious gospel because when we follow the commandment in the gospel, we will be glorified with Christ. And here, when St. Paul mentioned that this gospel was committed to his trust, he was very, very humbled. Because before St. Paul, before he was a persecutor and blasphemer, but God counted him faithful to entrust him to preach the gospel. And that's why when he said, was committed to my trust this moved feeling of gratitude and thanksgiving in his heart because god counted him faithful to preach the gospel that's why in verse 12 he said and i thank christ jesus our lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry Saint Paul was moved here by the grace of God and the love of God that did not exclude Saint Paul because of his former life, but he counted him worthy and faithful to be entrusted to preach the gospel. So, we need to understand that what is the first Important qualification for ministry, it is faithfulness. As he said, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God is looking for faithful people to entrust them with ministry. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, who is the wise and faithful steward? So faithfulness qualifies us to be servants of God. But how God considered St. Paul faithful? Because God, as St. Paul will explain, he knew that St. Paul was very faithful to Judaism. And when he persecuted the Church of God, he did this in ignorance and in unbelief. But God looked at his faithfulness. That's why he said, this is a chosen vessel for me. When he knows the truth, he will be a faithful ministry. And when God chooses somebody for ministry, he enables him. He gives him the power that he needs. That's why he said, I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me. He gave me the ability because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. We as servants... We should always thank god that he chose us although of unworthiness we should thank him because he enabled us to be his servants while unworthy and we should always examine our faithfulness to christ and our commitment to his gospel verse 13 although I was, formerly, a blasphemer. He considered his persecution of the Lord Jesus Christ as blasphemy against Jesus Christ. A persecutor, he was killing the Christian. He guarded the clothes of those who stoned St. Stephen. And an insolent man. He was very harsh in his persecution. He had no heart, no compassion to be kind on the Christian, but he was insolent, blasphemer and persecutor. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Why God had mercy on Saint Paul? Because God desires all to be saved god knew that saint paul did it in unbelief in ignorance because he didn't know better but he was faithful that's why he called him and the grace of our lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in christ jesus so God saw the faithfulness in the heart of St. Paul. Through his grace, through the grace of God, God had mercy on St. Paul, transformed him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, the grace of God found the heart of St. Paul full of faith and love. So the grace of God worked in the faith and love that was abiding in the heart of St. Paul. And when the grace of God worked in the faith and love in his heart, he became the great apostle St. Paul. And St. Paul, making a conclusion out of this experience, What is this conclusion? I'm speaking about his personal experience. He was formerly blasphemer, insolent, and persecutor. But when God looked at his heart, and saw saw faithfulness in his heart, saw love and faith in his heart, he granted him his grace, and Saint Paul obtained mercy. Not only to be Saved, but also to be an apostle and a minister in the church. So, St. Paul now is making a conclusion out of his personal experience. What is his conclusion? This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Why? Because I'm speaking about not intellectual teaching, but I'm speaking about a life experience experience that i myself tasted in my life so i'm not just teaching you something i didn't feel it i didn't experience if you don't believe in it look at my story and look at who am i what is this conclusion that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i'm a chief so if i am a sinner here is a good news, Jesus Christ came not to call righteous but to call sinners to repentance because the whole don't need physician but the sick. So this gives me hope that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save the sinners. If I am a sinner, I am accepted. God came especially for me, God wants to save me but I have to uh, respond to his grace and to his mercy. How to respond? By faith and love, as St. Paul said. in, In verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And see here his humbleness. He said, I'm a chief among sinners. Although now he is an apostle and God accepted his repentance but he reminds himself that he is a chief among sinners in order not to be elevated by vainglory but to keep himself humble. And he said there is another conclusion. The first conclusion that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. But The other conclusion is, as Jesus Christ did this with me and saved me, he will do it with every sinner in the world. That's why in verse uh, 16, uh, uh, 16, however, for this reason, I obtained the mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So God did not only have mercy on St. Paul to save him only, but also to show a pattern for all of us that as the Lord chose St. Paul and transformed him, he is willing to transform any sinner in the world if he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ with faith and love. But this pattern has to be both ways. As God, the first way, as God demonstrated grace and mercy on St. Paul, he is willing to demonstrate grace and mercy on each one of us. But in the same way, We should respond to God as St. Paul responded to God. We should follow the same pattern of St. Paul. And when we show the same pattern, we will inherit the everlasting life. St. Paul concludes this gratitude, these words of thanksgiving, by saying, now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who who alone is wise, the honor and glory forever and ever, amen. As I told you, when St. Paul was uh, reminded himself that God entrusted the gospel to him, this moved feeling of thanksgiving. So he started to say this exology to God, this glorification to God. He thanked God that he chose him and he's concluded this zoxology by saying, now to king eternal. is describing God as king, because G- Jesus Christ is our king, and now we are living in his kingdom. As we read in Colossians chapter 1, he transferred us to the kingdom of the son of his love. Eternal. This king is not like an earthly king, a temporary king but this king is eternal. So now we are living in eternal kingdom, the kingdom of the sun. And this king is different than the earthly king because he is immortal. The earthly king dies, but our king never dies, he's immortal. Invisible, because his kingdom is not out of the visible things. As St. Paul said, The things that are visible are temporary, but the things that are not visible are everlasting. To God, who alone is wise. God is wise. And because he is wise, he is able to save all of us. So we should trust him. We should follow him. We should accept him. Many times we feel that we are wiser than God and that's why we rely on our own understanding and we say no, no, this commandment cannot be applied in the 21st century, we cannot apply this now in our time, but if we trust that God is wise, then I will put my wisdom aside because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. To God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Honor and glory. When we accept him, of course, God is honored and glorified by himself. But again, when we believe in God and we follow him and we accept the Lord Jesus Christ in our side in our life, we will honor him and glorify him. And by the way, the meaning of the word the Timothy is honored by God. The word the Timothy, Timotheus, means honored by God. And after he finished this glorification, he returned it back to the commandment that he was giving to Saint Timothy about how to refute the uh, false teaching. In verse 18, he told him, this is charge I commit to you what charge to refute the false teaching to fight it this charge I commit to you son Timothy he's addressing him as a father also according to the prophecies previously made concerning you apparently that many people spoke about Timothy as we read in the book of Acts chapter 16 verse 2 we read about Timothy is that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Econium. So these are the prophecies. Many people said prophecies about Timothy. So St. Paul is telling him, Timothy, I am charging you to take this commandment very serious. According to the prophecies that previously made concerning you, The Holy Spirit spoke on the mouth of many that you will be a bishop and defender of the faith, defender of sound doctrine. That's why you need to fight the good fight as a defender of faith. That by them you may wage the good warfare. That you may wage the good fear against the false teaching. In order to keep the commandment pure by these prophecies by them here by them referring to the prophecies by these prophecies you know that god entrusted you to be a defender of faith because that is the will of the holy spirit concerning you and as god entrusted me to be a preacher of the gospel god entrusted you to be a defender of faith so when you think about these prophecies that were said about you, you this will energize you, motivate you to wage the good fear, to fight the good fight against the false teaching. Don't compromise the sound doctrine. Having faith and a good conscience, having faith It is that God will help you and a good conscience to distinguish between what's true and what's false. As I told you in the beginning, what is a good conscience? There is a strict conscience and a loose conscience. A good conscience is the conscience that can distinguish between true and false, good and bad, according to the will of God. So how are you going to fight this good fight? How are you going to wage the good warfare? By faith, by trusting God, and also by having a good conscience according to the will of God, you can distinguish between the true and false. Which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. When people reject the sound doctrine, when people reject the faith and the good conscience, then we'll suffer shep. When we reject the commandment of God, actually we are rejecting the faith and the good conscience. Why? Because the purpose of the commandment, as we read together in the verse in verse five, the purpose of commandment, love from pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And as I explained, the good commandment sorry, the sound doctrine will give me sincere faith and good conscience. So, if I reject the good commandment, the sound doctrine, actually, I will not have a good faith, sincere faith, neither a good conscience. And if I don't have a sincere faith or a good conscience, I will suffer shipwreck. Why? Driving, uh, sorry, uh, driving ship, in shallow water, will suffer from shipwreck. So, if your faith is shallow, like shallow water, this will end in destruction of the ship. And the good conscience will direct you to what is right and what's wrong. So, while you are leading your ship, if you lost direction, if you didn't know, what is right and what's wrong, what is the right direction, you may hit in Iraq and suffer a, a shipwreck. That's why the face like the water here, if you are in, in a shallow water, you will suffer shipwreck. And also, if you lost the direction, that's a good conscience, you will may hit Iraq and thus also you will suffer shipwreck in your life. So, You need to have good faith and also good conscience. How? By abiding by the sound doctrine of the church, because the purpose of commandment is sincere faith and good conscience. Of whom, when he said uh, some uh, have rejected, now he remembered two persons who rejected the commandment of God, who rejected the sound doctrine, who rejected the uh, good conscience and faith. And that's why they are suffering uh, shipwreck. He mentioned of whom are Hymnianus and Alexander. Hymnianus and Alexander. Hymnianus was mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 16 to 18. And Alexander is Alexander the Copper Smith, who was mentioned in Second Timothy chapter four, verse fourteen and fifteen. Those two persons, these two persons, deviated from the sound doctrine. That's why Saint Paul said, "Whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." What? Did he mean by I deliver to Satan? Deliver to Satan can mean one of two things either to suffer from uh, some physical uh, diseases or suffering, or can be explained as excommunication. Let me uh, uh, elaborate more about this. I delivered to Satan means I delivered him to discipline. And how a person is disciplined? A person is disciplined by excommunication. When they excommunicate a person from the church as if we are excluding him from the kingdom of God, that is the church, to the kingdom of Satan, outside the church. That's why when we excommunicate somebody as if we are delivering him to Satan, because now he will be outside the church. But when they are excommunicated and they suffer this, like Adam and Eve, when they were excommunicated from the Garden of Eden, this can lead them to repentance and when they repent they will join the church again example of this in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 when a person committed adultery with his father's wife saint paul said in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 deliver such a one to satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ so by delivering him by excommunicating him he will examine himself he will repent so he will be saved so the purpose of discipline him uh, disciplining is salvation to lead to repentance so saint paul as a father here i said Himianus and Alexander were delivered to Satan to be disciplined in order to learn not to blaspheme, in order to repent. And the person, the sinner of Corinth, he repented. That's why in 2 Corinthians, St. Paul encouraged them to accept him once again in the church. But also discipline can be suffering from physical discipline, not spiritual discipline. Excommunication is spiritual discipline. But physical discipline, like what happened to Saint Paul, we read in Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse seven. 2 Corinthians chapter twelve verse seven. Saint Paul says about himself, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. What does this mean? A messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. St. Paul was suffering from a disease. This disease can be prevented by God. But God did not intervene and said to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because God saw that this sword in the flesh is beneficial for St. Paul, lest he be elevated by the abundance of revelation. So God allowed this discipline with St. Paul, as he has allowed it before with Job, the righteous in the Old Testament, in order to save their spirit. That's what we call the physical discipline. Because we know that diseases and suffering, in general, does not come from God. Disease entered into the world as a result of sin. And God sometimes doesn't intervene to prevent it. He allowed this to happen in order to protect us. He wanted to protect St. Paul from being elevated by the abundance of revelation. That's he allowed the messenger of Satan to uh, hit him with his sword in the flesh. And thus, he protected St. Paul. But he told him, my grace is sufficient. I'm not going to leave you. So the discipline here, uh, when he said, I delivered them to Satan, means to be disciplined. Either spiritual discipline or physical discipline. And what is the purpose of discipline? Not to destroy them. The purpose of discipline is not destruction but the purpose of discipline, not to blaspheme, which means to repent and to return to God. So this is the first chapter in which St. Paul commanded St. Timothy to uh, refute the false teaching and to be a good defender of the sound doctrine. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.